Bill finally gave the Ringers Philly crew a podcast. I'm Ben Solak. And I'm Shiel Kapadia. That's right, just a couple Philly guys with a new space to fire off some Eagles takes, get caught up in the Sixers chaos, and more. We'll be coming to you twice a week on Sundays and Thursdays, plus bonus episodes whenever we get breaking news or Philly drama. Plus, when Harden and Embiid somehow convince you suckers that this year's going to be different, our fellow Philly stands at the Ringer will have you covered on the Sixers and all your other favorite teams in town. It's Philly Sports Shield. What could possibly go wrong? Join the fun and follow the Ringer's Philly special now on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome into the Ringer NFL show. This is the Power Rankers episode. Every single Tuesday, Austin Gale, that's me, and Jason Goff go over my power rankings on theringer.com. Not every single team. We're not going 1-32. to 32. We're looking at some of the biggest movers, the team of the week, all those things. Who's too high? Who's too low? I am so excited every single week to get on the mic with you, Jason. How are you doing? Hey, man, I can't complain. We had ourselves actually the best week, if you're looking at it from NFL stats standpoint, of Close football games, right? Going into the fourth quarter, there was only one game of the fifth of the sixteen that wasn't a one-score game going into the fourth, and that was Tampa Bay and Kansas City, which is my game of the week from last week. So hopefully, I do a better job of the game of the week this week. But we got a lot of close NFL action to talk about. The best product in the world, man. The NFL. It, it, when when Scott Hansen on Red Zone's like, "This is the witching hour," I like get chills, man. It is like every single time it's like, "Oh my god, these are more one score games." I don't know who's gonna win. Underdogs glory, all that stuff. For me, yeah. Shout out to I, Scott's bladder too, by the way, dude. I, I've talked to Andrew Siciliano. <laughs> small tangent. Andrew Siciliano, who also does the Red Zone broadcast, talking talking to him at the combine a few years ago. And he says like, that's one of the hardest things is not having to go pee, like having to like hold your bladder the entire seven hours. And um, those, those two guys, Siciliano and Hanson, man, they are absolute specimen for me. I'm in San Diego. I'm never going to Cincinnati again, living the dream. Um, I finally have in and out as a daily option. If I need to pursue that animal style four by four, if you have to do it. So I'm living the dream on the West coast, but let's get into it. Every single week, we're going to start with the team of the week. And this one was tough. I wanted to choose maybe, maybe one of the biggest movers. The Eagles are finally inside my top five of my there power rankings. Eagles, Eagles fans are still pissed that they're behind the Packers. We'll get to that later. But the Eagles could have been an option. The Niners could have been an option. We'll probably talk about those two teams later. But I'm going to give justice where justice is due. The Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills are my team of the week. The team that entering the season had the number one odds to win the Super Bowl, and they only continued to win football games. They've only continued to like put an exclamation point on that. They go down in this game against the Baltimore Ravens and come back. I'm going to walk you through it. Josh Allen was intercepted by Marlon Humphrey a minute into this football game on the road in the rain in Baltimore. J.K. Dobbins scored a TD on the shovel pass from Lamar Jackson a few plays later. Right away, Buffalo is in a 7-0 hole on the road in the rain. Devin Singletary, a few minutes later in the first quarter, fumbles the football. Odafi Owe on the force, you know, fantastic player that's really, you know, improving this year for Baltimore. All of a sudden, the Ravens are leading 14-3 going into the second quarter. Lamar Jackson went 12 of 16 for 108 yards and a touchdown in the first half. He was dealing, MVP dealing in the rain. The Ravens offense then was shut out in the second half. Zero points in the second half. Lamar went 8 of 13 for just 36 yards and two picks, including the interception to Jordan Poirier on that key fourth down and three where everyone and their mother is talking about the decision. I love the decision. The execution was trash. Lamar Jackson missed a wide open Devin Duvernay in the corner of the end zone. And I think a lot of that, I don't blame him because Greg Roman hasn't dialed up an open receiver all season. He probably just wasn't expecting it. But still, that is the concern, man. This Buffalo Bills team comes back from a 14-3 hole in the first quarter. Josh Allen is the MVP, looks insane, do you have a different take? I think this Buffalo Bills team deserves all the credit. No, I do too. I mean, th- this is the the best team in football, right? And I think we're going we can have maybe a Kansas City conversation at some point in this pod or down the road. But this is the best team in football. But I, I, in that game, I did see not 
the reliance on the quarterback position is, is a weird thing to say, but I think, and we've been talking about it in the last couple of weeks, even in wins, I think they're becoming so dependent on Josh Allen to make every play on offense. You saw in this game, you mentioned the rain, the, the officials allowed the Ravens secondary to be a little bit more handsy, a little bit more physical with the Bills wide receivers than we had seen early in the season. And Stephon Diggs is at the top of the wide receiver crop in the NFL, if not the very top. He was he was handled a little bit this, this game. So if, if the styles change, if weather's changing and, and you're dialing up these direct runs or these direct play calls in terms of putting the ball in Josh Allen's hand and allowing him to make the decision in RPO situations, he what he had 11 carries. I believe I believe at least eight of them were were designed run plays. I think the reliance not only on an MVP type of player like Josh Allen is is a great thing to have, but also it might be a little bit too much. Like what we're seeing with Lamar Jackson in, in Baltimore, right? The defense played poorly. They played poorly in their last six and a half, seven quarters. And if, if Duvernay isn't, isn't clicking or if Mark Andrews isn't clicking, they just getting J.K. Dobbins back, you go, okay, how much can you put on Lamar Jackson's plate? I think Buffalo's going to run into that while also having a great win against a, a, a top-ranked team in the AFC. I, I do think for the offense specifically, and, and this is a perfect transition to kind of the point I wanted to make on the Buffalo Bills, is that Josh Allen is so much of this offense. But I don't think it's, I think it's less that the Buffalo Bills are focusing everything around him and needing him to do it. It's just he's a superhuman. I think Josh Allen's a superhuman. I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL right now. I know people will say Patrick Mahomes. Josh Allen is the best quarterback in the NFL right now. I know Mahomes has better EPA per dropback and those things. He's done it against really good defenses. He did it against the Los Angeles Rams in the opening season, the defending Los Angeles Rams. He did it against the Miami Dolphins across 90 plays in extreme savage humidity. And most recently, this Baltimore Ravens defense is no slouch. And he dominates in that game in the rain, especially in the second half. After the first quarter, where he averaged negative 0.52 EPA per dropback, one of the worst quarters of his career. He bounces back in the final three quarters to average 0.3 EPA per dropback to captain a comeback and win this game against a very good Ravens team that I'm very confident is going to go into the postseason. They're 2-2 two and two right now. They're still my favorite to win the AFC North. He is an absolute horse running the football, too. I think that's another part of this, where like Lamar Jackson gets all this praise for running the football effectively and being very rightfully so, the most dynamic runner at the quarterback position. But Josh Allen, you saw that play where he like scoops up the fumble and just runs forward. There aren't, there isn't another quarterback that does that, like that can wear contact like Josh Allen. And then you factor in his superhuman passing ability in the final three quarters of this game. 16 of 27 for 182 and a touchdown. And he also rushed for 62 yards and scored another touchdown. This is not replaceable, right? This is superhuman behavior that I think puts the Buffalo Bills in the conversation, not in the conversation, cements the Buffalo Bills as the best team in the NFL right now, the team to beat in the AFC, the team to beat in the NFL. And so much of that, like you said, is centered around Josh Allen. He doesn't have, you know, so much of the offense goes as he goes, but I think it only goes as he goes because he's just a different level of talent, a different level of player that, you want it to go as he goes because he's going to take you far. Yeah, I worry about them exposing uh, him to, to hits. And also, you know, him being that guy. You mentioned Lamar Jackson being the runner that he is. Lamar didn't take a lot of hits. And when he does, it's it's eye-opening. Josh Allen takes contact, right? And and if he's the thrower that we've seen, but also has to endure the punishment that we saw Cam Newton have to endure, I just don't know, especially at that position, I just don't know how sustainable that is. And I'm not just talking about weeks on weeks on weeks, but long playoff runs where you're going to see better pitch in terms of the defenses that you're seeing. You're not going to see some of these defenses that you run into during the regular season. I just I just worry that having him exposed to that much, you know, not being able to tell Devin Singletary, hey, this is going to be the game where you're going to get 20 touches and, and hopefully you make enough plays that we can win this thing based on our defense and our special teams. Like, those, if I see the Bills start to win those kinds of games where it's like, okay, you, we don't have to have Josh throw the ball 30 times and run it 11 times for us to win by three or four points, then I'll be... I'll be more secure in feeling like this thing is sustainable. But until then, I mean, hell, you know, Josh Allen has had one of the more remarkable career turnarounds, and it's only been four or five years inside of it. The, you know, from where he started to where he is right now, it's obviously been historic. It's something to watch, but it's also something to keep your eye on while they're the best team in the NFL right now. I, I think you're 100% right in that this Buffalo Bills offense does not have the margin for error that say the Philadelphia Eagles right now. Whereas like if Jalen Hurts, if Jalen Hurts has a bad football game or a bad start to a game, Miles Sanders can take off. AJ Brown can take off. Devontae Smith, they have a top three offensive line in the NFL. The la that, that transitions to the last point I want to make on this Buffalo Bills team and why I still am buying them as this best team in the NFL is the defense. The defense for the Buffalo Bills has margin for error. error right? Like this defense is 
freaking ridiculous. Ranked second in the NFL behind the San Francisco 49ers, who we'll get to later in total points allowed, second in yards per play allowed, and they've done it through a lot of injuries. Tredavious White hasn't played a football game. Micah Hyde is still hurt. Jordan Poyer just came back from injury, and he leads the NFL in picks with four. He had two in this game. It's so well coached on the back end. Sean McDermott is calling a gem every single week to put guys that weren't supposed to be playing, like DeMar Hamlin and these different guys that weren't supposed to be playing football for the Buffalo Bills, but because of injuries are, and they're still playing so well against, and the adjustments, right? I talked about Lamar Jackson in the first half, over 100 yards passing and a touchdown looked great. In the second half, 34 yards passing and two picks. That's adjustments. That's a defense that's so well coached that is here to stay. And then you bring up the pass rush. Right now, they rank fourth in pressure rate as a team. Fourth in pressure rate as a team. And it's not coming from one place. Gregory Rousseau, number two in pass rush win rate in the league, according to PFF. Boogie Basham, number six. Von Miller, number nine. AJ Epinesa, 20th. We bring up the Eagles a lot. Steven Ruiz on this podcast feed on the, I believe, the Monday show said, the Eagles offense has so much margin for error. I'm buying them. I'm buying the consistency every single week. All the same things, all the waxing poetic on the Eagles offense and how high that floor is should be said about this Bills defense. It has margin for error. It has such a freaking high floor. It can survive injuries and can survive rain, can survive Lamar Jackson, Matthew Stafford, Tua Tungabailoa. This defense, in my opinion, is the best in the NFL and is not going anywhere. Yeah, and they're versatile, too. They can go man, they can go zone. And, you know, we in Chicago saw it here for a decade where you have a six foot four, 250-pound middle linebacker who, if you're going to play cover three or you're going to play too high safety, you can drop that guy in the middle, and he's a condor out there in Tremaine Edmonds. So uh, they, they've got, <laughs> like, defensively, they, they stay fresh, right? You mentioned three or four guys. Two of those guys are part-time pass rushers, right? So they stay fresh, and they get to the quarterback. And Kyle Elam as well. You know, we talk a lot about the draft all the time. Uh, this dude is playing. This dude is playing some really, really good football for a young player. So I, I like the Bills. Don't get me wrong. I do like the Bills. I just I'd, I'd like to see them. And it's only four games in, but I want to see them win. You know, with a little bit more versatility, a little bit more multiplicity in terms of hey, this is going to be a boring one. We're going to hand this football off and move you out the way for a good four quarters. Depth along the defensive line. That's what I spoke to, and I'm, I just talked for a while about the Buffalo Bills defense and didn't even bring up maybe their two best players. They're linebackers, right? Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano are freaking insane. I'm so glad you brought them up. They've been Mm -hmm. banana land. And I know they're playing behind a really good defensive line and that helps linebacker play, especially in the run where you have guys that are taking on two blocks and, and creating openings. But like Milano and Edmonds, man, are fucking balling out. Too high, too low. Getting into discussion now, we're talking about some of the best teams in the NFL. Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs, those are one and two on my list. They have two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. You could trade 1A, Mahomes, 1B, Allen. You could swap those guys back and forth. For too high, there are two teams that I have to bring up. These are teams that I think I'm too high on. And when I look at my Twitter mentions and people are calling me for me dead and hoping I die on the streets, (laughs) whatever it is, it's these reasons. I have the Green Bay Packers, number three. And I have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, number five. And God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm you. sorry I have I them so high. I'm sorry I'm not ready to fade Aaron <laughs> Rodgers and Tom Brady right now. But as, as the evidence pours on, and I tweeted about this earlier today, Aaron Rodgers obviously went through a traumatic breakup with Shailene Woodley this offseason. He got a tattoo because of it. His haircut looks blasphemous because of it. And no, people are you know, drawing you know, c- comparisons to surfs up penguins with that haircut. He's tucking oh, his shaved hair behind his ears. I saw that. The, the, it's it's yeah, gross. During, it's gross. The, during the overtime good. coin toss, I was wondering what the hell was going on there. <laughs> he's, he's making dramatic changes to his appearance as he goes through a suffering breakup and struggles with bad work conditions. Receivers are dropping footballs. Devontae Adams isn't walking through that door. And Tom Brady's not that dissimilar. Now he's just now the New York Post, you know, sent out a tweet today saying they're hiring divorce lawyers, Tom Brady and Giselle. He's going now through a traumatic breakup. He's got kids. He's got a family that he's going to have to think about. He made some dramatic changes to his appearance. His cheekbones like cave in every single week. It's like his face gets skinnier every single week. And he's dealing with bad work environments right now. Julio can't stay healthy. Mike Evans is getting suspended. Chris Godwin just coming back. Rob Gronkowski is retired. Both these guys are getting old going through breakups and struggling with work. Never have so they been more they, relatable. are these the reasons why they are third and fifth? Like, you're giving me all no, the reasons no. why they should be lower on your rankings now. Here is why they're third and fifth. Here is why they're third and fifth. Is I, I, Austin Gale, will not, despite all the reasons to pour on them, despite all the reasons to pour on them, will not fade Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. I won't do it. That is a dangerous game. These guys, once they get through the breakup, once they get through some of these things, Aaron Rodgers' hair grows back, all that stuff happens. I'm buying them deep in the postseason. Season. I know they haven't played well to start. They both but have you're played like shit. you giving me what they will be, Austin. I need to know what they are now. Like, Tell if me I was what they to are. give you right, I, I, no, no. I, these power rankings 
come out weekly, right? If yes. I was to give you what, I don't know, what I thought you know, the, the Chiefs will be down the stretch, right? Yeah, that's fine. No, what they are right now, the Green Bay Packers right now are not the third best team in the NFL. The, the damn quarterback is telling you this is not sustainable. This is the same guy who was telling you to relax two years ago. So I feel like he's got the pulse of the team right there. He knows what's happening in front of him. And you talk about a guy who doesn't want to look bad. Aaron Rodgers is that dude. I, I believe Aaron Rodgers is the dude who already obviously has his Super Bowl. So looking bad now going forward, it's all legacy stuff now. The numbers, the MVPs, he does not want to look bad. And he especially doesn't want to look bad with a coach who he called out two years ago and won that fight, right, with that front office. And now you're sitting here. Wait a minute. You got Alan Lazard. You got, you got what's, him, what's my guy's name? Rashad Dobbs or whatever the hell his name is. Yeah, yeah. I, I Romeo. Him, yeah, Romeo. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's the problem that we're having here. Nobody on that perimeter is making enough plays, and you damn sure don't want to turn into the hand the football off team, even though that's where they should go with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. There's no way in hell. That, that defense, that defense is keeping them afloat. Rashawn Gary has turned into the star that they hoped he would be after drafting him out of Michigan a couple of years ago. That that team right now, and I thought Minnesota Vikings would win this NFC North. I still think they will. I, I can't. I can't. I, I know you got a whole bunch of numbers that you ought to throw in my face, <laughs> but I cannot sit here and tell you that the Green Bay Packers are one of the class teams and organizations right now in the NFL. Maybe week eight, maybe week nine, maybe week 10, but not right now as we head into week, what, six, five? <laughs> I'm going to say something, and I don't know if you're ready for it. You're right. You're, you're fucking right. Like, you're right. <laughs> there it like, is. The, the Ladies and gentlemen, Rogers, thank you so much for joining us. This pod gonna, is now over. <laughs> I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something. I'm going I'm to throw some numbers at you and just detail how right you are and how bad this offense and how bad Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady are playing right now. Rodgers right now ranks 22nd in EPA per dropback through week four. 22nd. That is lower than Jimmy G. That is lower than Cooper Rush. That is lower than Marcus Mariota. That is lower than mm. Andy freaking Dalton. And everyone will make excuses. Yeah, the offensive line has been hurt. And Romeo Dubs is dropping balls. Christian Watson's dropping balls. The Cowboys have Mike McCarthy, familiar, and they have one of the worst receiving cores and one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. They just signed Jason Peters off the street to play yeah. guard. He looks like a mobile home out there, and he's still, Cooper Rush is still playing better than Aaron Rodgers right now. Aaron Rodgers' average depth of target is 30th in the league. That is not going to get it done. He's tied for second with 10 throwaways this year. He's throwing at and behind the line of scrimmage at a high percentage of his throws. He's checking the ball down. He does not trust this offense. It is bad right now. Why are they still third? Because I believe he's going to get through this breakup, the hair is going to grow back, and you are going to see Aaron Rodgers and Matt, Mike LaFleur fi figure this out. Like, they're going to figure this out. That's why they're staying at three. For Brady, 15th in EPA per dropback. But he is not getting pressured. First in pressure rate allowed. He is only getting pressured on 18% of his dropbacks. Why? He's first in time to throw by a country freaking he's mile. Go. 2.2 seconds on average, Goff. That is Freaking insane. He's never thrown faster in any point of his career for a whole season. So if he maintains this, it'll be the fastest he's ever gotten the ball out in the history of his career. And why is he doing that? The offensive line is hurt. He does not want to get hit any more than Giselle has already, already has hit his confidence and hit his emotional oh, stability. No. But oh, now no. he is getting the ball out and there's just not enough you know, healthy playmakers making plays with the ball in their hands after the catch. Julio Jones is not that guy. Mike Evans has never been a yak monster and Chris Godwin is constantly hurt. This offense is struggling to create explosive because they can't block Brady long enough for him to stay in the pocket and get the ball downfield. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers rushing offense ranks 23rd and yards before first contact per attempt. Again, more evidence that the offensive line is struggling. Tom Brady needs to be all the way invested, 100% locked in into being a superhero for this team, as does Rodgers in Green Bay, if either team is going to maintain this 3-5 and five ranking on my power rankings, and if either team is going to play deep in the postseason. Do I buy Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers turning into superheroes late in the season? Yes, I freaking do. I will not be caught on old takes exposed calling, you know, saying the jury is out on Brady and Rodgers just as they go through these breakups. I buy the long term. Yeah, yeah. At some point, though, he's got to fall off the table. I'm not saying it's going to happen this year, whatever the case may be. When we heard that the Wednesday practices were now off for him, immediately I was like, red flag, because at some point you're going to go into a rush stretch and adversity is going to hit every NFL football team. And when you're looking around and your general isn't there on, a, on an excused day every single week, you know, yeah, obviously that's the God. You, you give him whatever time he needs. But when that losing happens, everybody's got problems at home, right? Everybody's got problems with their bank 
County. Everybody's going to start to look for new realtors. Like this is, you know, and Todd Bowles being there and Todd Bowles being there instead of Bruce Arians too, right? Like all these things that we look at here, this is how it starts to kind of trail off. This, this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team, they won by defense in the first couple of weeks of this season. And then when the defense has a bad day or you have miscues on special teams, can you look at Tom Brady and say, hey, we need 40 throws out of you and 35 points? Well, they almost did it against the Kansas City Chiefs. He was just going up against a guy who had a more diversified offense and the ground attack with the Kansas City Chiefs now with Pacheco getting some runs in there. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what this Bucks thing is going to look like because, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. is still out there and we're talking about the Giants. We're talking about the Packers. We're talking about the Rams and, and all these other teams. He's going to need a, a, a target that can take it to the crib. You know, Chris Godwin is a really good receiver, right? But he's more of a possession type of dude. Mike Evans, same guy. Red zone monster. First down monster. They need to be able to take the top off that defense. Even if they get a few possessions or a few passes, I should say, with decent uh, blocking, right? Because he's getting rid of the ball so damn quickly. They don't they still don't have anybody who can stretch the field. And I, I think that's what Tom Brady at this point in his career needs, at least a guy that can take a couple of deep shots a game. They don't have that right now. And Leonard Fournette is not getting it going offensively the way he was last year. So uh, the Bucs, you know, they, they're going to have to grind out some of these games. They're going to take it back to Tom Brady when he first entered the starting quarterback, you know, stratosphere with the New England Patriots when they were running the football. And I think that's what I, I don't know if you can go back, especially with him being Tom Brady. As I said before, and I think I'm going to say a lot of it on this podcast throughout the season you're right you know you're right i think the the, the, the closing point i'll make on that and then i want to get onto some teams that i think i'm too yeah. low on or i think i'm too low on the closing point on that is what they desperately need what rogers and brady desperately need i don't know if you've seen goodwill hunting but it's when robin williams goes to matt damon and he's like it's not your fault and just keeps crying just, matt damon keeps crying and he's like no i'm fine i'm fine and it's like robin right, williams right. Needs, i will be their robin williams i will be robin williams to rogers and brady right now and i will hold them and i'll say it's not your fault and now brady and rogers are going to turn it around and they're going to be in the mvp conversation come january we'll see <laughs> it's not your fault i know it's not your fault Teams I'm too low on. I want to put these two teams together and, and get your take. We're going to start with the Atlanta Falcons at 23 and the Seahawks at 24. Both teams coming off wins. Most recently, Geno Smith is playing really well. Let's start with them. Geno Smith leads the NFL in EPA per play and completion percentage above expected. Those two stats are very stable week over the week. They're very stable year over year. It's why they're coveted in the analytics community. I sat at my keyboard in the coffee shop yesterday, Starbucks specifically, and read that like four fucking times because I did not, I could not believe, I could not believe that Geno Smith is in this position through four weeks of the season. I think that it is fantastic to see the success of Geno Smith. I think the quote about, you know, they wrote me off and I didn't write back is phenomenal. I think he's playing really good football. And I think Benjamin Solak on Extra Point Taken, which is a podcast that comes out on Tuesdays on this feed, made an excellent point at the end of that podcast where he talked about how the stereotype, stereotype around evaluation of black quarterbacks is that they can't do what Geno Smith is doing. And Geno Smith has come in and proved so many people wrong. And it's so good for the evaluation of black quarterbacks moving forward. He is running the Shane Waldron offense to a T, color by number, making freaking plays. He's getting the ball out on time with actually throwing with anticipation. All things that, because this league is dominated by old white heads that have been doing this since the dawn of time and all that stuff, do not understand black quarterbacks can do. I think Geno Smith is doing so much for moving evaluation forward and just being and just being exactly what he's been since even coming out of West Virginia, throwing with anticipation, throwing on time and all those things, and through, through years in the league, having a ton of success now and, and reaping the rewards. I know the Seattle Seahawks aren't going to go deep into the postseason. I know they're not going to win the freaking Super Bowl this year, but I do think it's just such a great success story in Seattle, specifically with Geno Smith and how they're having football. And I know people want to make the comparisons to Russell Wilson and the memes and stuff. <laughs> we need to appreciate a really good thing here. And I know the Seattle Seahawks are 24. Yeah. Maybe that why I'm bringing them up is maybe I'm too low, but I am in love with the success story of Geno Smith in Seattle right now. I mean, show me a quarterback who was drafted to be the dude whose career took the turns that it did, right? You've never, you never heard of a quarterback being punched in the face, right? And, and, and jaw being broken and derailing. Let's, let's keep it funky. It derailed his career because now you're out. And when you're out on an NFL football team, you are a ghost. And if you're the ghost as the quarterback, it's donezo. So then he now has to kind of rebuild not only his confidence, but his trust in NFL locker rooms and then you go forward and he never really got the shot and let's face it going back to some of his um 
you know, some of the evaluations of Geno Smith coming out of coming out of West Virginia was a lot of the shit that you said that people say about black quarterbacks. I'm on record 15 years ago as saying, and at that point, I, do, I termed it a mobile quarterback because the mobile quarterback was the worst coach position in all of sports, whether you go down to high school, up to professional. You know, guys need to win games. And in high school, when dudes are just trying to win some games, hey, Look at that one read and take off because you got the legs to do so. And then you keep winning games doing that. And you find the special ones who could do it at a level they can't do it at, at, at anybody else. Meanwhile, you got these kids out here in Cali and Texas going to these 707 passing yeah. camps. So the proliferation of the actual raw materials is like branched off into two separate categories. And then all of a sudden, yeah, these white dudes other than Steve Young and Fran Tarkenton running around and making plays athletically. And it had to be factored in. So I'm, I'm happy to see not only that we uh, can actually evaluate people as whatever they are instead of putting them in these little pockets and also leaning into certain things, right? It's okay that Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen are playing the way that they are playing and winning football games doing so. So there's a few ways to skinny cat, but it will always come back to this is the only sport that you have a wall of protection for what is the most important player on the team. And he's winning the games, or I should say not winning the games, but he is he is performing in a way that you uh, would hope that a pocket passer can perform. And he's a mobile quarterback as well. So I'm happy for him. Uh, you know, it's, it's good to see the dude. I, I'm happy for anybody who is, like you said, written off and comes back and performs at their true talent or expectation level. I don't think the Seahawks um, have a whole lot of talent around him outside of DK who got carted off and, um, you know, the ter- <laughs> Shout out to Tariq Woolen, by the way. This guy yeah. is blocking kicks and he's picking off passes. We we saw him in the preseason game here in Chicago when the Bears played the Seahawks and he made some plays in that game too. So they got a young little core and I don't think Pete Carroll is long for this gig. So hopefully whatever coach they get in the next year or so, two years, will grow with this young team. Maybe is Geno Smith uh, the dude? I don't think so. But is he a guy that you can win with? I, I think he might be. So good for him. I'm glad he's uh, reclaimed his time as an NFL quarterback. I think you made two like really phenomenal points in that, and that like that last point of like, is he a guy you can win with? I think that Steamer Weeze tweeted out earlier in the year that like black quarterbacks have not been afforded that luxury of like this is Never. a game manager, this is a guy that you can win with because right. they've been right. cast away so quickly. And I think it, it's correlated to the other point you made: the black mobile quarterback is one of the worst coached fucking pe- you know positions or, or players in, in the league at co- in sports because, like you said, they're coached to first remove and all those different things. Geno Smith, I'm not saying is like ending racist stereotypes around black quarterbacks, but it is moving the conversation forward for those who are willing to freaking listen. You know, for those who are willing to see what is happening right now and willing to listen. And I think that's just a but phenomenal those are the same people who are still talking about Lamar I know, Jackson I know, has to prove I know, something. I know, you know what I, I, mean? know, I, know, I know. Um, <laughs> And like you said too, like the Seahawks defense, I think is still like awful. I think they're 30th in EPA per play. Like they were, they're not playing well enough on defense to like really be a dominant team in the NFC, but I still think the success story is worth having the conversation around, are they too low at 24 on my list? At 23, the Atlanta Falcons, are they too low? Because this offense is actually playing well. It's, it's, it's multiple. It's offense specifically in the running game is far exceeding expectation. This offensive line is getting pushed. Right now, they rank first in yards before first contact per attempt. And people are like, oh, the analytics community always makes up these random data points on Sundays and all this shit. That is saying your running back, on average, is not getting hit. No, not getting hit till 2.84 yards beyond the line of scrimmage, on average. That is very good. That is evident of open holes and getting pushed along the offensive line. Chris Lindstrom, the offensive guard, right guard, is playing phenomenally. Caleb McGarry, right tackle, who has had pass protection problems in his career, is killing people. This most recently in their win over the Cleveland Browns, I am convinced. I don't know if you've seen Sopranos, but there's that uh, episode in season two where he's like got fever dreams. Watching it right now. There you go. So he's got fever dreams in season two. He's waking up in a cold sweat, like seeing like talking fish and shit. The Cleveland Browns are in Sopranos level fever dreams about (laughs) the the Atlanta Falcons offensive line because they were getting absolutely dominated, pancake after pancake, and those things. This Atlanta Falcons offensive line and their skill players with Drake London and Kyle Pitts are good enough, in my opinion, for this Falcons team to maybe be a bit higher than 23. I think the issues are. They still don't have like a legitimate clean drop back passing game. Like Marcus Mariota is still not having a lot of success as a straight drop back passer, especially on third downs and in the red zone. But still, there are enough pieces here and enough buy-in to like Arthur Smith is cooking that this Falcons team might have the, a young core similar to Seattle in that it's not as bad as you think it is. And maybe they aren't the 23rd you know, worst team in the NFL. Maybe they are a bit better than that. I, I don't know what your read is on Atlanta. Are they more than just a fun team? 
Are they actually better than 23? Where's your head? I, I think they are a fun team that the foundation is getting laid. You know, like, like for instance, here in Chicago, like we would kill for it to feel like this, even though the record is the same. Yes, great and, point. And, 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 and if I would name you Avery Williams, Caleb Huntley, and Tyler Algier, and, and expect you to understand those are the people that were running the football for the Atlanta Falcons after Cordero Patterson got hurt, I'd be surprised, one, if you name them, and then, and then two, I would wonder if you are a little bit into NFL football more so than the rest of the aspects of your life. But no, like you mentioned, the offensive line has been outstanding and you have to be multiple when you have a guy like Marcus Mariota because you have to supplement what he's not giving you in the passing game with his legs and the actions, the boot actions and, you know, the misdirection stuff. Like if you can get tricky and get out there and also grind it away, like we always like to think of exotic play calling as it being in the passing game and being multiple in the passing game where, hell, give me the old school, you know, Jim Harbaugh, San Francisco 49 is exotic run game or you know the way Sean McVay when he first got to to the Rams and you saw Todd Gurley and you're like okay that is an exotic run game like the San Francisco 49ers now with Kyle Shanahan and and, and Juszczyk and Debo Samuel so you can be exotic in the run game as well and I think that's what the Atlanta Falcons have done simple fact they just don't have enough talent on the offensive side of the football or enough established talent like you mentioned everybody's wondering what the hell is going on with Kyle Pitts well you know he's the only guy you really got to key in on until Drake London starts to make some more plays and you got to have a guy to get it to him uh, routinely and right now I think Marcus Mariota is just a placeholder on a, on a team that's that's um, afforded themselves a lot more goodwill than anybody thought everybody thought that this would be one of the worst four or five teams in the league this year uh, get a draft pick draft a quarterback and then you move on from there but Arthur Smith was talking his shit first week of the season man so I can't knock him you know they're two and two right now they, they, they're playing tough football and that's all you can ask when you aren't a, a talented team Last team I wanted to get on that I think I might be too low on, and then we'll get into the biggest mover, the game of the week, the shame of the week, and bring in Steve Ruiz for his quarterback rankings update. The Dallas Cowboys, man. We were on this podcast a few weeks ago, and I wrote them off. I was making fun of them. I was making fun of McCarthy. Dak Prescott was hurt. I, I, I doubt some of the claims. I've been working on my headline writing for this podcast. The right I have here, the headline I have here is life after Dak hasn't actually been the depths of hell. I think a perfect, you know, a perfect representation of that. You remember when Shane Battier for the Heat won the finals and he came back to opened up and he's like, the reports of my demise were premature. That's what the Dallas Cowboys are. Reports of my demise were premature. The reports of the Dallas Cowboys' demise were premature. They are playing good football, coming off back-to-back-to-back wins, three consecutive wins with Cooper Rush under center. I am not going to get on this podcast and say there's a quarterback controversy. I'm not going to say Cooper Cup has this team playing harder and playing faster like you've seen on some of the TV shows, but the, the, the bottom line is, is that they are playing good. Since week one, Cooper Rush has this offense top 10 in offensive EPA per play. They're running the football effectively. Tony Pollard and, and Zeke Elliott are playing well, and they're still not completely healthy, right? They're still not completely healthy. They they just recently got Michael Gallup back. They, they're battling injuries along the offensive line, but they're finding ways to win football games and actually put together competent offense. And defensively, Micah Parsons is putting on a defensive player of the year campaign I've ever seen one. Trayvon Diggs is playing better than he ever has. I don't care about the interceptions last year, playing better than he ever has. And yeah, they have consecutive wins against Bengals, Giants, and Commanders who have all had their woes this year. But I look ahead to week six, or week five, excuse me, the, the Rams are vulnerable, man. I know they go to Los Angeles. I know it's going to be on the road, but the Rams are vulnerable. Seven sacks on Monday night. I know we're going to get to that game later, but like this Dallas Cowboys team is not dead. They are not in the depths of hell. Jerry Jones on the radio today, I think, said Dak will not play this week. He's not healthy enough to play this week, but man, he's close to coming back. They are number 16 on my list, and they might be too low. Yeah, I, I'm I'm cool with them being a little bit higher because Cooper Rush did exactly what he was supposed to do. He met his moment. You know, this is what happens when you got a guy waiting in the wings and he does everything he needs to do in practice. He does everything he needs to do in meetings and he finds his time and you don't overwhelm him with putting the game on his back. You know, they, they've been... They've relied on him a little bit more than you rely on a backup quarterback because he's played a little bit better than a backup quarterback is supposed to play. And it's okay to say that. It's okay. It's, you know what I mean? It feels like when we get it's like when we get into these LeBron versus Jordan dumbass conversations where it's like, no, you can you can appreciate the other one too, right? It doesn't have to be one or the other. This is why you have a backup quarterback. And, and I know there's a couple of podcasts, a couple of famous podcasts that I've heard the last couple of days talk about the, you know, how the what happened to the backup quarterback. Shout out to Bamani Jones and him, but like, yeah. 
yeah, man. This is this is what it used to be when you had Dave Craig and Steve Bono and all these guys in the, in the waiting in the wings, Mark Brunel and those dudes. Like you're supposed to have a guy who's competent behind the main dude. Now salary cap restrictions and all the other things where you're trying to allocate a certain amount of money to a position. They drafted a guy. They waited in the wings. He got his opportunity. Like you mentioned, Micah Parsons is going dumb, and everything that we thought he was going to be. This dude, I when I was doing Big Ten Radio with my man Anthony Heron, we talked about Micah Parsons on a weekly basis. And of course, COVID hit and everything hit the fans and he sits out that season. Kind of forgot how dominating a player he was going into the draft. And lo and behold, we see him not only play every single damn position seemingly on the edge and in their sub packages playing middle and, and roaming the field that way he affects the game in so many different ways he's taking the challenge of being the next best defensive player in the league and he's he's not he's not you know shying away from it he's talking crazy to everybody out there on the field he's one of the <laughs> fastest players on the field the dude is a um he is a a, a wrecked play waiting to happen and don't you know don't sleep on demarcus lawrence and his uh return to this this roster they like they moved on from a certain set of linebackers right where it was Jalen Smith and Leighton Van Der Esch and, and dominating and relying on those dudes to now a different crew like they got their younger crew rolling in there with their vets mixed in as well I like I like the Cowboys um I also understand too you know Sometimes you play better when you're sick because you're focusing a little bit more. Offensive game calling, they're playing a different offensive game because they feel they're sick at that quarterback position, right? So they don't want to overwhelm a dude. I wouldn't be mad. Of course, Dak Prescott is Dak Prescott, but call it a couple of games when he comes back the way you've called him with Cooper Rush and see see what you can lean on, right? If Ezekiel Elliott wasn't the fourth, was it fourth pick in the draft a few years ago, you know, we'd be talking about Tony Pollard probably taking his job by now. Like, act like you're acting have that profile for a team and offensive play calling that you had with Cooper Rush. Just up it a little bit with Dak Prescott and not put all of the onus on Dak Prescott. And I think that's massive credit to Mike McCarthy and the players rallying around being sick, to use your kind of expression there, like being sick and knowing that Dak is out. We have to play better. We have to collectively be better. And I think they've done that. That's not because Cooper Rush is a better leader and all that stuff. The stuff that makes headlines <laughs> on ESPN. That is because this team recognizes they need to be better for when Dak Prescott gets back. And I think the other thing to credit too is Kellen Moore and Cooper Rush you know, putting together game plans week in, week out where he can ex- execute. Steve Ruiz, I think, had the fina- a fantastic take on Rush would be a top 10 quarterback in this league if he had even like a top 20 arm. He doesn't, and they're making up for that. He has to throw it actually in anticipation to get this offense to move, but still, they're recognizing those weaknesses and moving forward. Speaking of assistant coaches, Kellen Moore having a lot of fun. Assistant coach, defense coordinator, D'Amico Ryans is the transition I I wanted to talk about. He is, he is, I have, I'm, I'm practicing my headline writing. I said that he's in his bag, and Jimmy G doesn't have to change his stripes because of it. San Francisco 49ers put on a dominant defensive display on Monday Night Football against the Los Angeles Rams. Seven sacks in this game. Talanoa Hufanga, who constantly gets compared to Troy Polamalu. I don't think those comparisons are absurd. He did train and talk with Troy Polamalu a ton in the pre-draft process. He's someone that, when I sat down and talked with Talanoa Hufanga, that guy wants to be great. He wants to be the best. And he is showing out to start this year on that D'Amico Ryan's defense. The 49ers defense ranks first in yards per play allowed and first in defensive EPA per play. I am absolutely in love. D'Amico Ryans should be on a short list for a lot of teams for a head coach in 2022, all for what he's done with so little in San Francisco. Battled injuries with Nick Bosa. Battled a rotating door of cornerbacks. This San Francisco 49ers team is my biggest mover this week. They go from 14 to 10. I was admittedly fading the San Francisco 49ers when they had Trey Lance. I even faded them when Jimmy G came back into the fold. But the reason to not fade the San Francisco 49ers is that if this defense under D'Amico Ryans, continues to play like this, which I think is sustainable, maybe not to this degree, but sustainable across the season, Jimmy G does not have to be anything more than he's ever been. Limit the mistakes, get the ball to Debo, and let this boy cook, because D'Amico Ryans is going to limit big plays, and he's going to create havoc plays. I am in love with this 49ers defense. They're my biggest mover, 14 to 10. Hey, three weeks from now, you can already pencil in uh, my game of the week submission, and it'll be Chiefs 49ers because I think Ooh. the next couple of next couple of weeks, you got the Panthers and you got the Falcons if you're 49ers fans out there. Those are two wins. D'Amico Ryans, what he's done uh, against people that I've been celebrated in this league, you know, and, all, and recently celebrated because he handed Nathaniel Hackett his ass even though they lost 11 to 10, right? And then he goes up against Sean McVay, and that... 
I don't know if that line is not as trustworthy as obviously it's been in the last year. Of course, a Super Bowl run. They've mixed it up a lot. You know, they've had a lot of different combinations. There's no Andrew Whitworth on the, on the left side. But D'Amico Ryan's pretty much told them boys, hey, 10 and in, you won't win. If, if, if you can if you can complete 10 yards or less, you know, in, in terms of air, air, air dropbacks, I don't know. I don't know if what I'm seeing from the Rams is uh, a cautionary tale on all the offensive guru stuff because nine points on the road. He what Sean McVay scored six points two different times before this. So this is his third fewest points as, as a play caller for the Los Angeles Rams in his tenure here. And if it's Allen Robinson, who's not getting open or they're not looking at him, but Tyler Higby and Cooper cup can only do so much. And Cooper cup's not going to take the lid off the defense anytime soon because you can't drop back. D'Amico Ryan's knew exactly how to play that team. And he's got playmakers too. Traverius Ward is out there playing as high level of corner as you could play in the first four games of this season. You mentioned Funga, you know, Eric Armstead last night got banged up. You didn't really notice, right? Like they, they've got, you know, uh, Mo- Emmanuel Mosley, I think is a really, really good player. Dre Greenlaw is back from injury last, last year's injury. And on top of it, they dropped two or three picks last night. True. They dropped two or three picks that Matt Stafford was gift wrapping for him. That thing could have been closer to a shutout than we, than we realized. So um, as we're celebrating coaches, sometimes I think coaches get too much credit on, especially on the offensive end. If we're celebrating coaches and, and, and guys who can mastermind a scheme that can win you a ball game, then put me at the top of the list with D'Amico Ryan's because man, that dude, that dude has shown you this season and the, at the end of last season, how he can take a talented defense and make them play to another level. I'm right there with you. I mean, my biggest takeaway and why they're the biggest mover is D'Amico Ryans in that defense. But my other big takeaway, something D'Amico Ryans is here to stay. And so are these Rams offensive concerns because the offensive line is dog shit. Like they are not playing well this year. Colton Coleman, Coleman Shelton got hurt in this game. I think twice had to leave the game twice due to an ankle injury. That is not going to help. Joseph Nopum has been one of the lowest ranked pass protectors at left tackle so far this season. And Matthew Stafford is struggling before because of it specifically down the football field. I don't think Allen Robinson is not getting open. I don't think Cooper cup is not getting open. I don't think it's any, I don't think it's any problem really with the skill players. The problem is the offensive line is not protecting enough for Matthew Stafford to get the ball downfield. He has three completions, 20 plus yards down the field. Kenny Pickett has two and he's played a half. Like this, this offense can't get the ball downfield. D'Amico Ryans knows that. I know that your mom knows that everyone knows that. And that's the problem. And it's because of the offensive line. All right, really quickly. we got to bring in Steve Ruiz. I want to get to your game of the week. And then my shame of the week. That's where you look at the best game next week. And I look at the worst game and we're going to have to watch them both. Oh, my God. Well, looking at next week's schedule, you know, we already talked about this. There's not a lot out there for you. But Bengals, Ravens, um, you know, a classic AFC North matchup, a hard hitting as always. But you get two of the premier quarterbacks in the game in Joe Burrow versus Lamar Jackson. I think I think Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow are going to have to go on a little bit of a run here because they're looking around and all we heard about was how this was the new uh, quarterback wide receiver combo to be feared. And it's been it's been OK this year, but it hasn't been premium to where we expected. I'm looking forward to seeing what this Ravens defense has after they went up against the Bills and Josh Allen go up against another terrific young quarterback. And of course, Lamar Jackson, man, you know, his numbers may not say it, but I don't think there's any player that's more valuable to their team than he is. You could put an average quarterback in some of these situations, and I don't think there'll be a hell of a drop off with a lot of these teams. You put an average quarterback in the situation with the Baltimore Ravens, minus the Tyler Huntley situation that we saw last year where we won a few games. But other than that, man, I think the Ravens and Bengals, that's the one I'm looking at for the game of the week. I'm with you. I think it's one of the tighter spreads next week. Ravens right now at home, favored by three over the Cincinnati Bengals. Total set at 48 and a half. The Ravens desperately need Greg Roman to figure it out. I think Ruiz and Solak on this podcast feed have you know, talked about it a ton. Ruiz wrote an entire article about just how alone Lamar Jackson is in this offense. How he, I think, has 13 of the team's 14 touchdowns. He's rushed or thrown 13 of the team's 14 touchdowns. They're running you know, routes short of the sticks on third down. There is nothing going right for this Baltimore Ravens offense in terms of inside a structure. Lamar Jackson, we talked about Brady and Rodgers needing to be a superhero in their offenses. He needs to be more than that for this Baltimore Ravens team to consistently win football games. And it's why they're only three-point favorites at home over the Cincinnati Bengals. And we brought up that fourth down play earlier where... You know, people will talk about the, the decision to go for on fourth down every single week because people don't understand analytics and don't understand win probability. I don't care. <laughs> the execution of that play is on Jackson. And I think... Yeah. 
because Devin Duvernay was wide open right at the start, and Devin, you know, Lamar Jackson, in a quote after the game, said, I saw him late. If I saw him right on time, I would have thrown that. It would have been a touchdown, all those things. I just don't think he's expecting anyone to get open like that. Like, he's not expecting anyone in this offense to get open by design. And I think that's why he wasn't even initially looking at Duvernay in that because of just how flawed this, this passing game has been and how flawed you know, Greg Roman has been at, like, really developing this around a good pocket passer, a good pocket passer in Lamar Jackson. My shame of the week is Titans at Commanders. The headline I wrote for this is, I want to cry watching both these offenses. And I do. I, I do want to cry watching both these offenses. There was part of me that wanted to go uh, Steelers at Bills because the Bills are 14-point favorites, and I think Kenny Pickett's going to be eaten alive. There's part of me that wants to watch any game with Carolina because I think Matt Rule and Baker Mayfield are the biggest disaster the NFL's ever seen. But I am sticking to Titans at Commanders. Commanders right now are two-and-a-half-point dogs at home. The total set at 42-and-a-half. This Washington offense ranks 30th in EPA per play on early downs. The Titans and rank 30th in point differential, Washington 32nd. I was on this Wentz trade being stupid really early. As soon as they traded essentially a second or third round pick for the entirety of Carson Wentz's contract, I knew that this Washington Commanders era was going to you know, start off poorly. They don't, Carson Wentz isn't it. And they're struggling to build an offense around a roller coaster, a legitimate roller coaster where the highs are high and like great. And you see these deep balls to Jahan Dotson, but the lows are literally horrendous. He's taking bad sacks, throwing interceptions, all those things. And for Tennessee, if Derrick Henry isn't going for this offense, it's not going anywhere. And now you have the rookie Traylon Burke's going to miss some time with turf toe. The offensive line is so bad in Tennessee that I don't think this Derrick Henry success is even sustainable. He ranks 28th among the 29 running backs with at least 40 plus carries this season in yards before first contact per attempt. A Stat I bring up a lot on this podcast because it is really evident and predictive of future rushing success. He is getting hit at or behind the line of scrimmage too often to have sustained rushing success in this offense, and that's because of the offensive line. And Ryan Tannehill has been under pressure on 39% of his dropbacks this year. That's the third highest rate in the league because, again, Taylor Luan out for the season. This offensive line is bad. The commanders are terrible. The Titans are terrible. This is my shame of the week. I'm scared to watch this game. I think it's just going to be terrible on both sides. Yeah, all you got to say is Ryan Tannehill versus Carson Wentz. And that, <laughs> that, that's, that's reason enough for it to be the, the shame of the week. We will not be talking about bad quarterbacks when we bring on Steve Ruiz. It's going to be Aaron Rodgers, Zach Wilson. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers and Zach Wilson and Joe Burrow. Let's go ahead and bring in Steven Ruiz. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. 
I already told the listeners we're going to talk a little Aaron Rodgers, Zach Wilson, and Joe Burrow, but you're officially on the podcast now. Ruiz, you were just talking about how you stay up all night Sunday, and then you work all day Monday, and you honestly never see your, your family or anything like that. I just want to say we're here for you. We're here for you if you need anything. Uh, yeah, I might need a new wife soon. She might leave me. Oh no, don't say that. Did you guys just get married? Don't go, don't fall yeah, into the but, Giselle Brady tier here. Giselle Brady oh, man. were together Yikes. for a while. Yikes. Tom Brady, he's just like me for real. <laughs> yeah, that's what right. I've always said. <laughs> Steven Ruiz, Tom Brady, same dude. Family, same family dude. breaking up because of football, man. <laughs> Steve Ruiz, Steve Ruiz going through a breakup, potentially Tom Brady going through a breakup, brings us to our first quarterback. Aaron Rodgers also recently threw a breakup. The fault in his stars being Shailene Woodley. Let's talk a little Rodgers. He has not played well this year. He has not no. played well this year. 22nd in EPA per dropback. I dropped that stat earlier on the podcast. Why isn't he playing well? Is this what he is now? Is it over? What, what, tell me, what, where, how big is the panic button in Green Bay? It's, it's so hard with them because you watch and you can kind of see that he doesn't trust his receivers. But you also, I feel like you have that in the back of your mind. You just assume that this was going to be the case going into the season. So it might be a little confirmation bias. But he's just missing throws. Missing throws that he didn't used to make. And maybe that's a chemistry issue. Maybe the receivers aren't running the routes at the right depth. But if this was any other quarterback, we wouldn't be giving him that excuse. And I think that's the biggest difference between what he is right now and what he's been the last two years when he won MVP is those high-level throws and the accuracy. It's it's not where it was. It's not the best in, in the league. And I think with this supporting cast, it kind of has to be for Aaron Rodgers to produce as he has been for the past couple of years. Is the difference the fact that he's always had somebody that he can count on when these things were happening with other people? Got a chance to talk to James Jones, who was one of his receivers back in the day about it. He said, if he doesn't trust you, he's not going to go to you for a little while unless you prove it. The problem is right now, he's looking around. He doesn't have many people he could trust at all, right? You're not going to Randall Cobb. You're not going to Tanya. Like, these, these are the things that he has been able to rely upon before. And now that he has Dobbs and now that he has Alan Lazard and Christian Watson, what do you, what do you see as being the way out other than repetitions and just, you know, the next few weeks working this thing out. Yeah, I think so much of their offense the last two years was Devontae based. Like he'd run the bubble screens. He'd run like the fades if they play, try to play press man. And those are the throws that aren't really hit, hitting right now. Like he's hit Dobbs for a couple of, of fade balls, but he doesn't have, he doesn't have that guy who, where he knows if he puts the ball in the area, the guy is going to go get it. The Packers don't have that right now. So like, I don't know what the, I don't know what the solution is unless it's like Rogers turns back the clock and just starts hitting every throw and placing it perfectly. But right now, like it's not all on the receiving core. I want to like make that clear. He is missing throws and he is not, he's not throwing to open receivers every time like he was the last two years. And I, I think there's a difference between him and what he's been and that might be more significant than what the supporting cast has turned into. I think that with Rodgers, and we'll move to Zach Wilson next, but with Rodgers and Brady, I know that you and Nora talked a lot on the earlier podcast on this feed about how Mahomes and the Chiefs win in this, this offseason and say, we got to be different. And, and they have, and they've had a lot of success. I think for Rodgers and Brady, um, maybe it's not all because they had other things on their mind and going through other things, but like they did not commit to being different. And they're now struggling and trying to learn that this season. Like they're trying to learn to be different, commit to the run game and all those things this season. And I think Aaron Rodgers is struggling with that transition. Like he's struggling with a lot of transitions in his life right now. Zach Wilson is the next player we want to bring up here. I think him in the fourth quarter looked phenomenal in this game. And he looked like BYU Zach Wilson, where he's playing YOLO ball, living and dying by YOLO ball, throwing things like where you're just like, man, I don't think. This is sustainable, but it is looking fun. In the fourth quarter, he looks good. The first three quarters, he looked awful. Where are you at on Zach Wilson? Is this a net positive for the Jets, or you still have the same concerns and, and nothing has changed? Nothing has changed. No, it's not a net positive for the Jets. It, it, has it ever been a net positive for the Jets fair, since fair. like 1968? I, I, I thought we could maybe give the Jets fans some love, but I guess that's fair. No, and I'm, I'm kind of hesitating to go on this, this uh, rant because they're playing the Seahawks next week. So this will almost certainly look bad in hindsight. Uh, because that defense is so bad. But man, I don't know how... You, if you're a Jets fan and you watch that tape from last week, I don't know how you come out of it feeling good unless you're coping hard. Because it was ugly in all the ways that it's been ugly for him. He can't make plays on, in structure. He just can't do it. And he look. I know he's not like a short quarterback, but he is very small. Like his body is small for a quarterback. And he looks small in the pocket. Now, the Jets offensive line, terrible. It's bad. It's hard to play quarterback behind that line, but he reduces their margin for error because pressure affects him more than it does other quarterbacks. Like J 
Justin Herbert, for instance, who is huge and he's unaffected by pressure in the pocket. The Chargers line is is worse than than the Jets, but it doesn't affect him as much as it affects Zach Wilson. And I think that's the big problem. And that's one of the reasons why I wasn't a huge fan of him before the draft. I don't think he looks like an NFL quarterback and he doesn't react to pressure like an, uh, an NFL quarterback should. And that's still the biggest issue. And I don't know how you overcome that issue because so much about playing quarterback in the NFL is dealing with tight pockets. You mentioned the out-of-structure plays that aren't being made uh, or that are being made. When you have a quarterback like that, because uh, similarly to what's happening here in Chicago, where you know it's a, one of these next-generation quarterbacks that you're trying to figure out what he is and what he isn't and how you can evaluate it, do you think you're getting a fair evaluation going forward with the lack of offensive line that, the, that he has in, in New York? Or are you just ready to, to kind of commit to if they're going to win or if he's going to be whatever he's supposed to be, wherever, when he evolves into the, the you know the Zach Wilson that they thought he would be on draft day does it have to all be out on the boot does it have to all be at different launch angles and, and is that sustainable uh I think this is one of those cases where you kind of have to watch the film to to judge him like fairly because the stats are going to look bad like even if he was doing well it's kind of like a Trevor Lawrence situation last year where the stats are going to look bad no matter how well he plays but like fields there are plays to be made, and he's not making them. He's not making them consistently. I tweeted this out, but if Garrett Wilson has any other quarterback, if he has Joe Flacco out there, he goes for 150 because he was open on a a number of plays. There's one play, I think it's the first drive, the Jets, no, second drive. Jets go into empty. Garrett Wilson gets matched up with a linebacker on an option route. The middle of the field's wide open. Garrett Wilson beats the linebacker. Of course he does on an in-breaking route. Zach Wilson doesn't throw the ball. He tucks and runs and takes a sack instead. If you can't make that play, you can't be an NFL quarterback. If you can't look at your best receiver on a linebacker with all the space in the world and realize and anticipate that throw, anticipate it coming open in a clean pocket and you run into a sack, I mean, I, I don't know what else you need to see. I don't know what, what else you need to see. Yeah. I want to dig into that more because I think so many Jets fans want to believe that Zach Wilson can improve, want to believe that he can be more than just a trick shot artist, right? And I think you mentioned that earlier in the feed that like he has to hit the trick shots for the Jets to win. And he did. Is that sustainable? No. Can you, when when you're playing beer pong and you miss, but you get the ball back and you got to go behind the back, if you're only making those, you're not going to win consistently beer pong games. You got to freaking drain your easy ones. You got to hit your islands. You got to hit your shots. Zach Wilson is not hitting shots. I want to dig into it more, but I think the question, the biggest question is, is can that be fixed? Can he see Garrett Wilson match up on a linebacker next week and actually hit that throw? I don't know. I want to say that's coachable, but I have no fucking idea. Joe Burrow is the last quarterback I want to bring up, and then we'll let you go. Joe Burrow had a rough first two weeks and has played better of late. I think he's second in EPA per dropback over the past two weeks against bad defenses, whatever it is. He's playing a lot better, though. Is that the real Joe Burrow, or is the first two weeks the real Joe Burrow? How much of this is Zach Taylor being conservative? What, 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 what's your read on Burrow and how he's playing football right now as he goes into Goff's game of the week, uh, Bengals at Ravens? I, I think it's like in the middle where he's still trying to figure out the perfect middle ground between being this, this he wasn't reckless, but he was a quarterback willing to take a chance, like willing to hold on to the ball, even if it meant a sack, willing to give his receivers a chance, even if it meant an interception. The last two weeks, and especially this last week, there were more plays to be made downfield, and he didn't try them. Instead, he like checked the ball down quickly, and I think that's a reaction, a direct reaction to the offensive line and the problems they've had. But And he, I think he's only taken like two sacks in the last two weeks after taking 13 in the first two weeks. Take more sacks, man. It, it, you're, you're not Joe Burrow if you're not taking more sacks. You can't be this type of Joe Burrow and be a top 10 quarterback. I think he could play like this and continue to be like hover around like 10 to 12, like in the, the Derek Carr type of range. But that's, that's not why you draft Joe Burrow. You draft Joe Burrow to make these off, off script throws. He's going to do the accuracy stuff in the pocket. It's not like a Zach Wilson situation where you can only do the out, out of structure stuff. But it just doesn't. The offense isn't as scary if, if Burrow isn't holding onto the ball. If he's checking the ball down quickly, I don't think I fear the Bengals as much as I did even when they were struggling early in the year. Because the one difference between the last two weeks and the first two weeks, besides Joe Burrow getting rid of the ball quicker, is that they're playing defenses that aren't playing too high and playing conservative zone. They played defenses that gave him a chance to take make those plays downfield, and he took them, and he made some of them. But 
I think in order for this to work like it did last year, he needs to be more aggressive and they need to fine tune this. And I don't know if Zach Taylor is the guy to do that, but it might be on Burrow to kind of figure out the perfect middle ground. Last thing I have, uh, Stephen, I didn't like to ask you this and I didn't talk about this beforehand. I just want to get your off the cuff assessment of this. Who's having a better start to this season, Jared Goff or Matt Stafford? Oh man, it's going to pay me to say it. It's Jared say Goff. It. It's Jared Goff. Say it. <laughs> but this is like the importance of supporting cast. And this is why you can never really separate a quarterback's performance from his supporting cast. Because like Jared Goff is playing on easy mode right now. Like if you watch those Lions games, I know they're scoring 35 points a game or whatever it is. But he still looks like Jared Goff. Like 80% of the time. I do think he deserves credit for making more uh, difficult throws, more throws on the run. And I've given him credit for that in my rankings, but there's still the Jared Goff moments. Like there's like four a game. And I think that's going to continue. I don't know how sustainable this is for the Lions offense, but I, I mean, I have like, we all saw Stafford on Monday night, man. I can't, you can't deny it anymore. He's not playing well. I know the offensive line has a big role in that, but it's, it's bad. It's bad, man. It's been bad. We talked a little bit about how bad that offensive line is for Matthew Stafford. I don't know how much better that gets. People are blaming Allen Robinson. People are blaming whoever they want to. I think the offensive line and Stafford are probably the biggest biggest suitors of blame. I get smarter every single week we bring you on, Steven. It's my favorite part of the show. Just kidding, Goff. I love when we just, it's just me and you. But uh, uh, that's all good. You can tell the truth. I, I get smart every time I see Steven, too. I get dumber. I get dumber. No, I'm just oh, kidding. Stop. Hey, what the hey, hell is this? Listen, what the hell? We're just hell? trying to figure out the middle here. Yeah. We're just you trying to, to figure out the middle. <laughs> that's going to do it. This has been Austin Gale, Jason Goff, and Steven Weiss. Thank you so much for listening. Reminder that on Wednesdays on this feed, you have the Island with Nora Princiati. On Thursdays, the Scramble with Shield Capadia. And then on Fridays, you have the Ringer Preview Show with Danny Heifetz, Benjamin Solak, and this guy, Steve Ruiz. Big shout out to our producers, Connor Nevins, Arjuna Rampapal, and Carlos Chiraboga. We are excited to continue the Power Ranking Show. Until next time. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.